Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourse reminds us that the Bible starts and finishes with God's perfectly orchestrated master plan. In Genesis, we see the creation of the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, we see the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis, we see the first Adam reigning on earth. In Revelation, we see Jesus, the last Adam, reigning in glory. In Genesis, we see an earthly bride brought to the first Adam. In Revelation, we see a heavenly bride brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam. That which is God begun, He will finish. Sometimes we get so caught up in the daily demands of life, we fail to think about a coming day when Jesus will return to this earth as reigning king. And yet, according to scripture, the time is near. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues our study in the book of Revelation. It's a series about Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. Today's message titled, Back to the Future, Part Two. If you missed part one, you can replay it online at ktt.org or on the KTT app. Now, here's Philip with today's message. One of the marks of the ministry here at a a Kindred Community Church is that we work our way through the Bible, often verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And at the moment, we're in the beginning of a series of studies on the seven churches of the book of the Revelation. And... uh, To begin the series, we're looking at the opening paragraph and the opening prologue of this wonderful book, a neglected book, but a book that, unlike any other book in the Bible, is uh, given to us with a divine incentive to read it because there is an attendant blessing that follows the reading and the keeping of this book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is at hand. Thomas Chalmers was a man and a minister greatly used of God in Scotland. He was a man marked by evangelical fervor and godly character. Although that was not always the case, for much of his life, he was rather lazy and rather liberal as a minister. In fact, he wrote a booklet once defending the thesis that a minister can get all of his work done in two days. And then he can spend the balance of his week pursuing something else. And that's exactly what Thomas Chalmers did. He wanted to be a professor of mathematics at the University of Edinburgh. And he set about the goal of doing that on the side. But God laid his hand on Thomas Chalmers. And after his conversion, he was a different man with a different view and perspective on the ministry. He had a God-blessed ministry that uh, changed the very complexion and culture of Scotland. Some years later, a minister who was rather jealous of his success at a ministerial meeting waved the pamphlet in Chalmers' face and said, did you write that? 
To which Chalmers replied, yes, sir, I did. But I wrote it when I was strangely blind. In those days, I aspired to be a professor of mathematics at the University of Edinburgh. But what, sir, is mathematics? It is magnitude and the proportion of magnitude. And in those unregenerate days, I had forgotten two magnitudes. I had forgotten the shortness of time. And I had forgotten the length of eternity. What a message. This is a clear and present danger for the church and for the Christian. The peril of living life without an eye to eternity or without a heart for heaven. To become lost in our love for this present world, which takes us away from Christ and blinds us to these great magnitudes, the shortness of time and the length of eternity. There's always the danger in my life and your life that we can become so earthly-minded that we're of no heavenly use. We can become blind to the fact that according to Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 11, you and I are resident aliens on planet earth. This is not our home. We're only passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This temptation to lose sight of these great magnitudes and realities was indeed a temptation that the early church had fallen for. In the letters that Christ addresses to the churches in Asia Minor, modern Turkey, this is an issue he addresses. Because if you look at his call to repentance and renewal, it's linked again and again in these letters to the restoration of an eternal perspective. And the implication of that is that they indeed had taken their eye off the ball, eternally speaking. In fact, the call to the church to return to him in Revelation 2 and 3 is linked to his return for them and the attendant rewards that will come with it. Future grace was the motivation to the church's health and the church's holiness. Let me give you a perspective on this. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Jesus says this in chapter 2 and verse 7, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In chapter 2, And verse 17 to the church at Pergamum, Jesus says to him who has an ear, let him hear to him who overcomes. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one except him who receives it will know. To the church at Thyatira in chapter 2 and verse 23, Jesus says, I will give to each one according to his works. He tells them to hold fast to overcome, so that indeed, according to verse 27, they might rule with him as he rules in a future day with a rod of iron. Future grace, the impending, trending second coming of Jesus Christ was the motivation to holiness for the churches of Asia Minor. They had to get back to the future and get back quickly. That's why we're taking time just to introduce our series on these churches by just understanding the book of the Revelation itself. And we're helped here by the opening paragraph and prologue of John. We saw that there are three things here to take from the opening three verses, the personality of this prophecy. 
The book of Revelation is a book of prophecy centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a book from him, about him, to us, from an angel, through John. Christ indeed holds the spotlight throughout the book of the Revelation. It's really not about the Antichrist. It's about the true Christ. It's not about the false church in Revelation chapter 17. It's about the true church under the lordship of Jesus Christ in Revelation 2 to 3. We saw that this book is centered upon the expectant advent of Christ unveiling on a future day. The word revelation, apocalypsis, uh, it gives us the idea of an unveiling. The book of the Revelation looks forward to and has us look towards the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. In the first coming, it was all about crucifixion. The second coming is all about coronation. The first coming was all about shame and mockery. The second coming is all about splendor and majesty. That's what we have in the book of the Revelation. And it must have been a great encouragement to those who were under the heel of the emperor Domitian, who was, was uh, setting in motion another wave of persecution. And the church had to remind itself to live out the lordship of Jesus Christ with an eye to eternity. That's the personality of this prophecy. Secondly, now, where we're picking up where we left off, we've got the proximity of this prophecy. Let's remind ourselves, as we stated, the revelation of Jesus Christ is prophetic in nature. It is the Word of God through the living Word, Jesus Christ, according to verse 2. And by nature and character, it is a prophecy, according to verse 3. That's repeated in chapter 22, verse 17, 18, and 19. Like no other book in the Bible, the book of the Revelation turns us towards the future. It would have us look up while we live out our commitment to Jesus Christ. The bulk of the book deals with future events. John is told to write those things which he saw, speaking of the risen Christ, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's told to write those things which are, and he addresses the churches that exist in the area of, of Asia Minor. And then he's told to write those things which will happen thereafter, which seems to take us from chapter 4 right to the end of the book itself, which will include the rapture of the church, the rise and demise of the Antichrist, the onset of tribulation, which morphs into a three-and-a-half-year period of great tribulation, the gathering of the nations on the fields of Armageddon, on the valley of Megiddo, the soon return of Jesus Christ to smash those rebellious and godless nations that have forgot him, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the establishment of the kingdom, the judgment of the nations at the great white throne, and then the eternal state. It's all here. And what we have in the book of the Revelation is a sneak peek into coming world attractions. Now, the interesting thing is this. We're told by John from Christ that the bulk of this book focused on the future and the events that are detailed in it are soon to take place. Okay, look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. We're told that the time is near. There is a prophetic proximity to this book. Now, what does that mean? After all, we're more than 1,900 years 
since the writing of this book, the best scholarship of conservative evangelicalism pinpoints the writing of this book around about A.D. 95. We're 1,900 years on since the writing of this book. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, what was prophecy to them? Has it now been fulfilled? And what was prophecy to them is history to us. And there are some that would argue that's the case. I still hold to the thought that it's future. But if it's future to them and still future to us, and 1,900 years have passed since John telling us that the time is near and these things are soon to happen, then, then how near can they actually be? Now, as we look at the proximity of this prophecy, there are two things I want us to see. I want us to see, first of all, the season of Christ's return and future events. And then we're going to look at the speed of Christ's return and future events. I want you to focus in verse 3. We're told to keep the things which are written in this prophecy, for the time is at hand. Very important that you circle the word time there. It's a Greek word, karos. It's not the usual word for time, chronos. And you can guess what the word chronos means, chronology, chronicle. It's the idea of the unfolding of time. 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. That's chronos time. Kairos time are those turning points in history that affect the direction of chronos time. And that's why it's very significant. This idea here carries the idea of a season. The season is near. It speaks of a seminal or a special season. It, it, it speaks of, of turning points in world history. There is time that determines the parameters of our life. That's chronos time. But there is time that defines the outcome of our life. That's kairos time. There are certain things we do at certain moments that, that just affect our lives proportionately. There are some moments that affect the rest of the moments. You understand that, right? And that's what we have here. The kairos time is near that's going to affect the rest of that chronos time. One writer put it like this, mothers know the difference between chronos and kairos. About nine months or so into a pregnancy, in the chronos time, there comes a kairos moment, right? When you nudge that sleeping burr beside you and you say, it's time. And you head down to the hospital and by God's grace, a wonderful moment transpires. It's a Kairos moment. And John says here that there's going to come a time in the future, a Kairos moment, a time that will change all time. The book of the Revelation, therefore, introduces us to the end time, the last pages of world history, the last chapter, the last season. I'm going to argue that the bulk of this book deals with the last three and a half years of world history up until the moment that Jesus comes back. Now, if you have good time later on today, go back to a prophecy in Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And it's centered upon a prophecy that's centered upon the idea that from the building of Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, you're going to see a period of 70 weeks. And each week comprises of seven years. There's going to be an expanse of 490 years from the moment Jerusalem begins to be rebuilt to the coming of the Messiah and his work. 
And if you read the prophecy, you'll read that uh, 69 of those weeks are fulfilled and then the Messiah is cut off. And biblical historians have been able to bring us from the time of Nehemiah to the very crucifixion and entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem and tell us that fulfills 483 years. There's seven years remaining. One week remains. When the Messiah was cut off, the prophetic clock stopped. But there's coming a prince from out from among the people who would destroy the sanctuary in Jerusalem. Who are the people that destroyed the sanctuary in Jerusalem? The Romans. The inference seems to be that that prince, that antichrist, who will make a covenant with Israel and then break it in the middle of the seven week, will rise from amidst a revived Roman Empire. And when those things begin to take place, you're going to see the clock ticking again, and the 70th week will begin to unfold. And the book of the Revelation picks up that theme. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14, we're told about a time, times, and half a time. Again, time means one year. Times means two years. Half a time means a half a year. Three and a half years. What happens in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel? Read it in Daniel chapter 9. There's a covenant that is broken by this prince who is to come from the people who destroyed the temple. And that will usher in what Jesus calls in Matthew 24, 21, the time of great tribulation. The tribulation or the 70th week of Daniel lasts for seven years. But the last three and a half, you'll have the pouring out of all these bowls and the sounding of all these trumpets. That's where we are. And John says that season is near. John talks about the time being near. He's speaking about this period. Not a period of time in the middle of history, but one that ends history and culminates God's redemptive work in the world. A period of time when God historically in Christ at the second advent finishes what he began in Genesis. You see, the book of the Revelation is a bookend when it comes to the sacred library. Someone has said the book of the Revelation is the grand central station of the Bible. So what time are we talking about? We're talking about a season, a kairos moment, a time that affects all time. And I believe the book of the Revelation places us into that last week and begins to take up especially the themes of the last three and a half years, the time, times, and time and a half. Now here's a point. We'll get back to the whole proximity of this prophecy in a moment. But I think you and I, especially in these days, uh, we need to remind ourselves, listen, as Christians, chronos time does not continue endlessly. And history is not haphazard. But according to the Bible, the last book in the Bible, the sure word of prophecy from John to the churches... History is going to climb and climax in a glorious kairos season and moment when Jesus comes again. Amen. God will once again invade time in Christ, and this time he will turn things right side up. As the current of the river carries the boat downstream, so providence is carrying all the events that you and I are reading about, thinking about, carries all those events towards their goal. When the last trumpets sound, all prophecy will become history. In fact, that's what prophecy is. 
What is prophecy? Prophecy is the remainder of God's purpose, which is yet to be realized in its time. The book of the Revelation is a bookend. That which God began in Genesis, he finishes in Revelation. God is victorious. Truth triumphs. Righteousness reigns. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. In Genesis, we see the creation of the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, we see the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis, we see the first Adam reigning on earth. In Revelation, we see Jesus, the last Adam, reigning in glory. In Genesis, we see an earthly bride brought to the first Adam. In Revelation, we see a heavenly bride brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam. In Genesis, we see the beginning of death and the curse. In Revelation, Jesus brings us to a state where there is no more death and no more curse. In the book of Genesis, man is driven from God's face in sin. In the book of the Revelation, we see God's face in glory. In Genesis, Satan appears for the first time. In Revelation, he disappears for the last time. Amen. That which is God begun, he will finish. And this is the backdrop to the book of the Revelation and the letters to the churches. Hey, Philip DeCourcy again. I just want to take a moment to tell you a bit about the ministry of Know the Truth and why we exist. Do you ever watch the evening news and find yourself completely shocked at what you see? I know I do. It's hard to believe how far our society has fallen from the truth of God's Word. We live in a world where it seems falsehood is king, and truth is described as something relative, even non-existent. The search for it, futile. But the Bible says that truth has always existed, and that truth took on human flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and it therefore can be known. We can indeed know the truth, because truth is a person named Jesus. Jesus tells us that in John 14, 6. The sad reality of our fallen and dying world is due to a lack of knowing truth, a lack of knowing the Savior Jesus Christ. And that's why Know the Truth exists. It's our mission, our joy, our passion to share the gospel with a world in desperate need of truth through clear, compelling, convictional Bible teaching. The Word of God itself is truth. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What a great truth. Thank you, Philip. Well, as he said a moment ago, sharing the truth of God's Word is our mission at Know the Truth. Each day we teach life-changing truth of the Bible with listeners all over the world through the radio and internet, some hearing the gospel for the very first time. But without generous, like-minded believers like you, this ministry would not be possible. So if you would like to help reach more souls for Christ, would you consider giving monthly as a truth ambassador or give a one-time gift of any amount? Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And as our way of saying thanks, we'll send you Authentic Influencer, The Barnabas Way of Shaping Lives for Jesus, a book by Jonathan Murphy. Barnabas was someone who lived in a world similar to ours, one contrary to the gospel, but still he influenced the world for Jesus Christ in practical and doable ways. And this book presents practical tips and encourages believers to shape lives for Jesus, starting with those around you. You can request your copy today with a gift of any amount. Call that same number, 888-644-8811, 
or visit ktt.org. You can also write to us, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if you've never reached out to us before, we want to welcome you with an encouraging devotional from Pastor Philip. It's called Resting in God's Faithfulness. Through His Word, God provides believers the sustaining grace to live each day faithfully. And this devotional calls believers to embrace God's faithfulness to remain steadfast in all stages of life. Both pastoral and theological in his approach, Pastor Philip points to profound biblical truths illustrated through poignant stories and backed up by ample scripture for further meditation and study. Ask for this when you call 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next time for more convicting and encouraging Bible teaching from Philip DeCourcy. That'll be next time right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.